Welcome to episode number 34 of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, where Christina and I discuss different ways you can live a healthier lifestyle without tracking and counting. Making your quality of life better, building strength, and eating healthier isn't all about numbers, so we wanted to make sure we touch on the stuff outside of tracking food, steps, and workouts that is an integral part of a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Whether you are transitioning away from tracking your food or have never counted a macro in your life, these are all sound principles that can guide you to being the healthiest version of yourself. As always, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, all we ask is that you share this episode with a friend, family member, or coworker who would benefit from it. One share can go a really long way and supports our mission to help as many people as possible to live a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode, number 34, Healthy Habits Without Tracking Macros. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lynn, and I'm here with my co-host, Marissa Roy. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss how to be healthier without tracking macros. Yeah, and it is probably the earliest we've ever recorded. I know the earliest for you because you're two hours behind me. So right now it's like 7.30 in the morning, 9.30 for me. Um, And you just... You were up early, early today, right? Yes. I was up at like 4.20 in the morning to drop my husband off at the airport. He's going on a long trip to Montana, and then I'm going to, in 11 days, drive out to Montana, which is about a 20-ish hour drive to meet him. Yes. And then we're going to turn around and then drive home. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I know. I know. So everyone's probably like, well, why are you doing that? (laughs) Um, But we're going to go hit up a bunch of national parks on the way home. So we're really excited. Oh, cool. So you'll like break up that drive home. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds a lot better, in my opinion. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. But with all that being said, I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to try our best to not let that show today. But I think this is, for your information, the earliest that we have ever recorded. Um, uh, So yeah, I like today's topic, especially after an episode like number 33, when we talk about social events, alcohol, eating out, we touched on this a little bit with like, oh, well, if you don't want to, you know, if you don't track macros, but you still want to be accountable for like reducing your alcohol consumption, et cetera, et cetera. But we just, you know, a lot of it is is macro based because that's a big part of our client base. And that's the method that we use to coach most of our clients. But I think today's episode is really, really important because there's a big push and a big movement for a lot of people to get away from using numbers and depending on numbers to reach their goals. Um, and I think this is really important for the sustainability aspect of anyone's journey, because ultimately you can't expect yourself to track your macros every day for the rest of your life. You're not going to be 80 years old, like weighing stuff to the gram on a food scale. I mean, like I'm sure there's someone out there that does that, but for 99% of people, that's just not 
not the reality that you're going to live in. And so we're going to talk today about a bunch of habits that, you know, we should still be using if we're tracking our food, but ultimately just like good principles to go by if you are transitioning away from tracking macros, if you never have before, but you're just looking for some guidance, or, you know, if you are trying to maybe just implement better cues with yourself rather than just depending on numbers for guidance. Right. So I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it's really important to talk about how you and I, even though we do track macros and have periods of time where we track kind of more intuitively, um, that tracking macros is a skill. And so what we learn from tracking macros is like you mentioned, portion sizes, um, how to eat throughout the day in order to reach our goals. And so we can kind of shift into a more intuitive approach. And so I think it's important though, that everything that we talk about, we still utilize while we are tracking macros, but you can use what you learn from tracking macros and implement that along with what we're going to list out today. Right, right. And I think we got we got on the little like gripe on the word intuitive eating, I think on that episode where we compared and contrasted all the different methods. But I think it's kind of important to make the distinction that when you are making this transition, right, like this is something that I have a lot of my clients do is we track and then we move away from it. And the default way of talking about it is intuitive eating, because that's just like what's trendy right now. That's what people call it. But ultimately, intuitive eating is pretty much what you do when you're not really thinking all that much about food, right? And so it's like what you were doing before you started a healthy lifestyle, you know, didn't pay two, two cents to like whatever you put in your body. It didn't matter. You didn't pay attention to nutrition. Um, but mindful eating, I think, is a really great word to describe what we are going to be getting at today when it comes to, okay, we're not using an app, we're not using a food scale, but we're mindful of all of these different points that are going to help us to achieve better weight maintenance in the society that we live in today because it's just hard to do that when everything that we do well, everything we gather around celebrate around does revolve around food and drink right and i feel like my always my caveat is just kind of like find out what works best for you and <laughs> kind of stick with that and so i know we always make fun of myself but i think that these are still very good general healthy habits that anyone can implement at any time to just kind of live that healthier lifestyle. Right, right. And it's um, with full transparency, something that I still work on actively every day. And it's something that I feel like I've gotten a lot better at in the past year. And I was kind of reflecting on that just yesterday even. But um, yeah, let's let's get into it. So the first point here that we want to hit on is eating slower and without distraction. So you've probably heard this before. Maybe you haven't. But essentially, you want to match the pace at which your body is going to actually feel full uh, compared to how quickly you can eat. Because uh, I personally have always notoriously been a very fast eater. Like I can finish my plate pretty quickly. I was the fastest eater that I knew until I met my boyfriend (laughs) and he is even faster. And I like legitimately, I'm so glad he, he doesn't listen to the podcast episodes and I'm really glad because I talk about him way too much, but, um, (laughs) he, I have to remind him to breathe sometimes when he's like really hungry (laughs) and he's like just chowing down. And I'm like, Hey, take a breath or like finish the bite that you're chewing before you take another one. And like, that's actually something 
pretty normal, especially with people with a lot of siblings. Like if, you know, they had, you know, their mom make dinner for everyone and it was like whoever finished first gets seconds and like you have to like rush to be able to get seconds, that sort of mindset, that can actually like perpetuate on into adulthood. And so I've kind of seen a little bit of that. Um, and I'm just like, hey, like, let's not eat in front of the TV. Let's let's breathe. Let's, you know, let's take our time with this. And we've both gotten a lot better with it. Um, and I think even just realizing someone else doing it in my life has helped me to reflect on like my pace as well, but eating slow and without distractions. So not being on your phone while you're eating, not being in front of the TV, because there is research to show that you can actually feel more satisfied when you're paying attention to the food that you're eating and kind of like savoring it, enjoying it, taking your time with it and actually noticing that it's there and what it tastes like rather than just mindlessly chowing down on something. Yeah, I think those are all really, really good points. And especially the eating slower, not only is it going to help match your body's timing with like, oh, I feel full. It's also going to help a lot with digestion. So if you're eating slower, you're taking more bites, you're breaking down your food a little bit more, that's just going to help aid in digestion. You're going to feel a little bit better after eating too. Oh yeah, for sure. And like the, I guess, indirect effect of it too, with both of these things, slow and without distraction, is it will limit the amount that you're going to be able to consume in a sitting. Mm -hmm. Because if you eat slower, you're going to feel fuller faster. I'm sorry, not faster. You're going to feel fuller uh, at the rate that you're eating rather than stuffing everything in that you possibly can. And then like 20 minutes later, just getting hit with it. Um, And that's where a lot of people can get in trouble because then you can over consume without realizing it. And the same thing with distraction. And this is especially true for like people who like to snack in front of the TV, like not even meals, but like chips and, you know, crunchy stuff that you just want to eat while you're watching TV. Uh, very, very easy to overconsume when you're distracted. So either pre-portioning snacks for, you know, TV time or whatever it might be, or, you know, if you're eating a meal, uh, sit down at the table, you know, keep it away from the living room, family room, wherever the TV is, put your phone face down or put it in the other room and really enjoy your meal and the person or people that you're eating it with. Yeah. And I think I read something that they mentioned that you can, you over consume when you're eating something out of a bag or out of a container Mm -hmm. versus if you were to, like you mentioned, pre-portion or at least either putting things out on a plate so you can see everything that you're consuming. So that's another good tip too. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of will go with like the plate planning, portion Mm -hmm. sizing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Want to take Um, the next one? Yeah, sure. So the next source, and also too, I guess another preference is that these are in no particular order. We just kind of listed these out. So so don't feel like eating slower is the number one thing you have to do. Um, But when it comes to actually kind of constructing your meal or constructing your plate, just a good rule of thumb is to have a lean source of protein and vegetables at every sitting. So we really want you to emphasize on eating actual meals and not just like pre-package and processed meals. So again, uh, lean protein and vegetables at every setting. Right. And one of the bigger issues that I run into with new clients, especially ones that are really busy um, or, you know, maybe they work a full-time job and they have kids and they're, you know, running around the house all day and they just are grazers and people who will kind of just pick a snack here, pick a snack there. They're never going to actually sit down and eat. They're going to end their day feeling like they they didn't even eat anything. But in reality, they might have, you know, picked at a bunch of different things and then, you know, 
they're like, oh, I didn't eat anything all day. I'm starving because I never had like something that satiated me. And, you know, we get into trouble in the evening because of that. And so eating actual meals, making it like not only like planning your plate and having lean proteins, vegetables, but like making it a priority to actually stop and like make a meal. And I'm just surprised at how difficult this is for most people, because obviously this is something that I've done as a lifestyle for many years. So for me, it it takes getting out of my, my bubble and what I do and realizing that, you know, this is not a regular habit for a lot of people is, is eating full meals and like sitting down to actually make the 20 minutes to do it. Right. And so I have to have that conversation a lot. It's like, oh, you're skipping breakfast, skipping lunch. Like, oh, we could just, you know, have this food or that food. But what needs to be a part of the conversation that I've integrated with my clients is, okay, how can we make sure that you prioritize just 15 minutes to actually sit down and eat? And that's really difficult for a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. I fall into this category, uh, believe it or not, because now that I'm working primarily from home, I get so caught up in just wanting to sit down at my computer and start working that the next thing I know, it's like 11 o'clock and I haven't eaten anything. So I'll just grab like an RX bar or something. And then I go back to work and I'm doing check-ins and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's two o'clock and I haven't eaten really anything. And so I open up the fridge and just try to find whatever's in there and then go back to work. And so the next thing I know, I'm, I'm really hungry and, you know, it's already time for dinner. So I, something that helps me a lot is again, cooking in bulk or making sure I have leftovers for a meal for the next morning. And then the next thing I found that works is even though I, I want to rush and sit down at my computer, making sure I have a decently sized breakfast that has a lot of protein in it. And that's going to help me feel really full throughout the day. And I also know that I got in a good amount of protein um, and I've got a, a good amount of micronutrients, either through fruits or a lot of vegetables. I usually have like omelets or like breakfast sandwiches or something. Um, and that helps me a lot because I, I don't feel as distracted by the hunger and wanting to just go and reach for something and get back to my computer. And I feel like that kind of helps set the tone. So for lunch, I'm more likely to eat another full meal than just kind of keep snacking. So prioritizing breakfast has really helped for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just make, like you said, making sure there's a good amount of protein in it, making sure you have fruits and vegetables, those things that are going to keep you full, energized, and actually productive throughout the day. I feel like the whole concept of like a morning routine goes really well with that because yeah. I've I've had the conversation a number of times with clients who are like, well, I just, you know, I roll out of bed, I walk the dog, and as soon as I'm back, I just feel like I have to get on my computer. And what I really like to analyze there is like, do you actually have to get on at that very second? Like, are you waking up with like little to no time in between your time to log on and, you know, the time that you woke up? If so, then like maybe that sense of urgency is there and we need to plan for, okay, what's something that you can have, like just maybe a protein shake to sip on while you start that that morning routine with work. Or do you actually wake up with a decent amount of time and are there other reasons that we're not getting in a meal there? And so kind of breaking down 
what that cycle actually looks like for people can be really, really helpful. Because a lot of times what I find is that there's a lot of idle time scrolling on the phone while sipping a coffee um, and a lot of, you know, just time in between that could be used more productively for something like actually prioritizing a breakfast. Right. And if you are that person where you do have to log on early or if you have to leave your house, I mean, because there was a point in time where I had to leave my house um, before actually at like 7... 7.30 or 6.30. And so I woke up at 5.30 and I didn't really have time to do anything other than get ready and get myself out the door. So something that was really helpful and, and something I tell clients is make yourself a breakfast smoothie the night before. Yep. So you just grab and go in the morning and it's something that's going to, again, keep you full and keep you energized. So you feel like, you know, you're not just spinning your wheels and you go home and you're starving because you haven't really eaten anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm also a big fan of the uh, the overnight oats for commuters. So like you bring that in your bag or like your lunch bag or whatever, and then just open it up, have it at your desk instead of, you know, trying to make an extra hour at home before you leave for breakfast, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the final thing to hit on with this is, you know, having lean protein vegetables, how much? So uh, if you're not tracking macros, it's a good idea to use like your hand to estimate portion sizes. So I have a post on this as well that I was like referencing to write this outline. But with your pro with protein sources, you're going to want to have uh, about a palm size or, you know, a as for women with smaller hands, I would say like a small fist as well. Um vegetables, uh, you know, cup your hand or use a fist size, uh, carbs do the same. And then like for fat sources, oils, those sorts of nuts, nut butters, those sorts of things, use the size of your thumb. And essentially this can just help you to keep portion sizes in moderation, make sure you're getting enough of the right things and not overdoing other things. Uh, and in general, like if you're choosing like mostly whole foods, then it's, it's not going to really be a problem in terms of over-consuming, but just especially with the protein, making sure you're getting enough. Um, you know, the, the recommendation on like some of the infographics that I've seen is the palm size, but sometimes I'm like, that's not enough for a lot of people with goals to, to build muscle um, and lose body fat. Like sometimes their protein goals are a lot higher. If we use our palm size, we actually might not be getting enough. So I think of like a small fist, a deck of cards, that sort of thing. Yeah, really, really good rules to go by. And another thing uh, just to touch on real briefly is to make sure you're prioritizing your micronutrients, so your vitamins and minerals. And so an easy way to do that is just eat a variety of food sources and kind of like this rule or not a rule, but uh, eat the rainbow. So, you know, lots of lots of different colors of fruits and vegetables and that's going to help you just feel so much better throughout the day than if you were just to eat packaged and processed foods for every single meal. Right, right. And like we also definitely support the use of a daily multivitamin, but yes. if you are, you know, using all mainly processed packaged foods and then slapping the multi on as a band-aid, that's not necessarily the same thing as I like to think of it as eat a variety of foods, try to eat the rainbow, and then use a multivitamin as an insurance policy rather than a Band-Aid and just make sure that anything you might be missing from your diet, and hopefully those things are minimal, you can then cover with a good multivitamin. Is that, And that's kind of the way I like to, to view it. Yeah. Um, and so I think uh, when we talk about eating the rainbow and eating packaged 
versus or packaged and processed foods. Something that you can do when you go grocery shopping, just again, a good rule of thumb is to shop the perimeter of the store. So the outsides of the stores are going to be like your meat and deli department. Um, they're going to be, you get process, or I'm sorry, your fruits and vegetables and all of those things. So shopping the perimeter is going to be kind of a good way to pick up those foods that you do need. And the insides of the aisles, you know, are a little bit more of like your sauces and your canned goods and packaged, you know, cereals and things like that, which are not saying that you shouldn't have because you, we are going to touch on another rule of moderation, not deprivation. But again, just an easy rule of thumb when you're grocery shopping. Right, right. And like that should be the majority of your cart. But of course, there's things like in the aisles that we we, we pick up as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the fruits, the vegetables, the starchy carbs, proteins, eggs, dairy, yogurts, all on the perimeter of the store. And then, you know, fill up your cart with that stuff, then go through the aisles. Also, don't shop hungry. Um, <laughs> like, it's it's so dumb because like people know this and they like joke about it all the time. Like I know everyone's like, oh, like I shouldn't be shopping hungry. Like look at all this stuff I'm putting in my cart. But like actually practice that because like go after you have a meal or go after you've gone out to dinner or have eaten a good a good meal because it makes such a big difference. And I will say like it, it's it you're still gonna have like your those moments when you walk by something you're like, ooh, I really want to put that in my cart and I really want to take that home like that, you know, 15 pack of cookies or whatever. Um, I made like a reel on that the other day because uh, we brought home like a 15 pack Wegmans cookie tub. And I was just like, I need to put this in the pantry. Otherwise, I'm going to eat all of them. (laughs) But like for those sorts of things, really difficult, but easier to not put in your cart when you know it's not going to serve you if you are not shopping hungry. But yes, the perimeter is a really great way to just fill up your cart with the things that you know are going to help you reach your goals. And I will sometimes, I'm not going to lie, if I am not able to grocery shop um, beforehand when I'm not hungry and I'm starving, like I've just gone to the gym, I will run over to the little protein bar aisle, I'll grab a protein bar and eat it as I grocery shop. Um, I mean, you just pay for it afterwards, but it, it's not a big deal if you go and grab something like that and eat it while you're walking around the store. Um, it was, I just remember it was super like, um, like when we were all having to wear masks, I remember having to do that and like having to like eat and then put my mask back on and like go around the kid and then eat. And, like, um, but yeah, that's something that I'll, I'll do if I really am that hungry and can't wait until I get home. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done that too. Or like even after a workout and I feel like dehydrated, I've grabbed like a Gatorade zero or something, um, right. drank it while I was walking around. But yeah, just remember to pay, uh, because obviously they might assume that you brought it in with you if you're eating it while you go, uh, and might not catch you for that. Or if you feel like really self-conscious about doing that, then, you know, run in, grab it, pay for it, and then walk out, get a cart and like go do do it go through that process again for the rest of your groceries if you need to. But um yeah, good rule of thumb or just, you know, and I think this isn't this is not on the outline, but I think is another good rule of thumb is just stay prepared. I know you, Christina, talk about everything that you keep in your purse at all times. Like you have the snacks, like you have everything ready. Uh, But just in general, like keep something so that you aren't ever like left stranded with no food. Like obviously not actually stranded like on a desert, deserted Island, but like, you know, 
somewhere where you're running errands and it's been hours since you had a meal, right? Or a snack. And so having something that can just kind of hold you over. Personally, I keep like a scoop of protein in one of my little funnels in my gym bag. So if I'm if I forget to pack, say, my post-workout shake, then I have a backup. Or if we need to go run to the store after the gym or something, I have that protein that I can just put in my shaker that I've already been using, chug that, and then just be held over for the next like hour, hour and a half. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I always recommend clients getting the little sample packs of protein too on the core website. Because again, it's just super helpful, super convenient. You can throw them in your purse, keep them in there, and they stay good for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the next thing that we wanted to talk about is paying attention to your hunger and fullness cues. Now, this can be really hard for people who have been tracking macros for a while. And it's actually something that I have to revisit with clients when, you know, they've been tracking macros for a while because they're can be a point where, you know, you track your food and sometimes you're not hungry and you eat. Sometimes you are hungry and you don't eat. And you're basically kind of training yourself to not follow those signals. Now that's not, I wouldn't say that's best practice because I do think that you can track macros and listen to your hunger and fullness cues and plan that appropriately. But that just takes time and work. And someone who's a beginner and learning this for the first time, say with a coaching package with us or something, that's probably not going to be the case. There's going to be a day or multiple days where they forget to eat a meal or two, have a thousand calories to eat at night. And they're wondering, do I really have to eat all this? Like, I'm not hungry. So, you know, how do I manage this? And I've gotten that question before too. And my answer to that question is, you know, in the context of you're tracking your food, you have a specific goal, you have these macronutrient goals for a reason. Yes, there is a reason that we're trying to get in all of this food every day. Now, if you've completely forgotten to eat and neglected, you know, just meal timing and spacing that day, is it the worst thing in the world if you come up a little short? No, but what we're trying to do is teach the principle of eat evenly spaced, well-balanced meals across the day, and that will help you hit those totals. Um, and so when, when I have someone that's transitioning away from tracking macros, this is really important because someone who has, and this is kind of getting away from the topic, but leading back into it, someone who has been tracking, but have has kind of been abusing the system in a way of like, they track, but they kind of just eat however and whatever they want across the day with no structure to hit their goals is going to have a really hard time transitioning away from it because they don't have a regular schedule and therefore their hunger and fullness cues probably aren't regulated because one really big benefit of just kind of eating regularly and on a regular schedule is that you get hungry around the same times and then you have a meal that's roughly the same size as all your other meals and you get kind of equally as full depending on you know what kind of phase you're in so paying attention to those cues while you are tracking is important to pay attention to those cues and listen to them when you're not but if you have no context like that just start to tune in and I've actually been doing this with a couple of clients who have like just started with me and they have it's it's the context of the person who has tracked before and has a lot of hesitancy towards it and they're like I just don't know if I want to count everything that I put in my body all the time while I do this with you so I say okay 
why don't we try just tracking your protein or just hitting a specific protein goal? And then I give them the hunger fullness Likert scale. And that's a scale of one to 10 of how hungry or full are you? Number five, five on the scale is, you know, I, I could eat, I, I could not eat and I'm, you know, not hungry and not, you know, full either. 10 is like past Thanksgiving full. Like I feel sick. I want to throw up. And one is like, my stomach is eating itself. I think I'm going to die. And so using that scale to basically regulate, okay, listening to my hunger between meals and just tuning in, paying attention. And this is where that mindfulness aspect comes in, mindful eating, really thinking before you're about to grab something to eat, am I hungry right now or am I eating because it's a typical lunch hour? Am I full right now or am I, you know, eating because the food's just there and left on my plate? And really, really, really tuning into this, especially in social situations, especially, you know, with indulgences. And like I said at the beginning, this is something, this is especially something that I've been working on and have been really, really trying to get better at lately. And I will say it's benefited my ability to actually like, increase my my daily macro intake and maintain my weight really well because I'm getting away from that all or nothing mentality. I'm getting away from overstuffing myself. I'm getting away from even letting myself get too hungry in between meals. And it's a skill that like you're honestly constantly going to have to work on. But paying attention to those cues can be so beneficial in, in literally any context. I'm really glad that you brought up social situations because when you were talking, I was thinking about how a lot of people struggle with eating out at restaurants. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just because, well, they put the bread basket in front of me or this person ate this and they didn't finish. And so they gave it to me, they offered it to me or they ate dessert and I I really didn't want any, but it was there. And so, you know, this is, I felt like it was my, you know, last chance or I felt like when I ate this while well, I already went over my macros or I already, um, you know, broke some rules. So I'm just going to say F it and just continue eating whatever. And so I think that trying to switch from, again, listening to your hunger cues and your fullness cues, and then also realizing that in social situations, it's not, it is not your last chance. Like there, the restaurant is always going to be there. You're going to have another uh, date night. You're going to have another happy hour with you, with your friends. So it's okay if you need to take a to-go box or you don't finish your food, or if you don't want dessert, no one's forcing you. You don't need to eat it. Um, I, and we've talked about this before, I'm a big foodie. And so I love just having like a little bite of everything. And that can like, obviously I can, I can eat Marissa and I, (laughs) we can eat, we can eat a lot of food. We can put away a lot of food. Um, but I've, I've learned over the years that yes, while I can do that, that doesn't mean I have to. And so just having a couple bites of something and being satisfied rather than just feeling gross after eating this huge meal and just feeling like way too full, like having to unbutton my pants and like all this stuff. And this is something that I work with a lot of my clients with. And I know Marissa, you do too, is being able to go out to eat without guilt and without feeling gross after. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And just like what I really like to hit home is leaving a restaurant or leaving that social situation feeling 
proud of the way that you handled it. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you left that social situation perfectly, you know, hitting your macros or perfectly sticking to your diet, whatever that means to you. But it means that you left that situation feeling good and confident that you made some good choices, whether or not you were, you know, perfectly on target, then, you know, that's fine. And, and again, this is in the context of maybe you don't have any macros to hit, maybe you've never even tracked before. So really just listening to those hunger and fullness cues and being like, I left the restaurant at a seven out of 10 on the Likert scale. And for me, that's a really big win. And I actually have done this with a number of clients where I ask them, you know, hey, rate on the scale where you typically end up after a social situation. And, you know, I had one client and she was like, it's a nine or 10 every time. Like, I am so full. I hate myself. I'm guilty stuffed. Like, I just overeat. And I was like, okay, instead of a nine or a 10, can we aim for an eight? You know, the next two social situations. And then we, we got an eight we got, then we got a seven, then we got a six, and we were able to just bring it down over the course of a couple of weeks by just paying attention and really trying to honor those cues. No macros involved and and no tracking involved. So, uh, you know, that's under the assumption that this person knows that they're most likely going to overeat when they go into a social situation. But how do we dial that back like just a little bit? Because all of those little changes really do add up when it comes to just achieving weight maintenance and and really not putting yourself in a situation where you are gaining weight or feeling you know unhealthy or uncomfortable. So uh, really, really big. Personally, I've I've had some good wins with that lately because I'm learning to be the person who can you know pile some of my stuff that I'm not going to finish onto my boyfriend's plate um, <laughs> or, you know, just share sharing things with people and not feeling the need. Here's another thing, not feeling like it's a competition to eat as much as possible. And I feel like maybe girls don't relate quite as much on this because I feel like sometimes in social situations, it could be the opposite for girls. Like who can be the daintiest? Like who can eat like a bird? But like I have found myself more so in the circle of, you know, a a lot of guys. And for them, it can be a competition of who can eat the most, who can order the most entrees and put it all down. (laughs) Double entree game. Yeah. And so that's something that I like to remind some of my guy clients, like, hey, when you go out with the boys or you're out to eat, like, it's not a competition to like out eat your girlfriend or your boys by like, you know, two servings or whatever. Like you don't have to, you know, put that pressure on yourself to impress anyone. Like who are you, who are you trying to impress? Right. And so really looking at that and analyzing that like competitiveness in someone, because like, unless you are a competitive eater, what we really want to do is get away from that. So that's something I think that maybe more of the guys can relate to is, is remembering that it's not a competition when it comes to eating out um, and really just making the choices that are going to serve you and your goals. Yeah. And I think something that's important, and I've, I've shared this story before about my mom and I going out to lunch and then her not wanting to eat dinner because she felt guilty for overindulging. And so again, listening to your hunger cues, if you're hungry, and you're starving, like that's miserable to go to bed feeling that way. So just have something light, you know, again, having extra protein at the end of the night, like that's not going to really set you back a whole lot. Whereas if you had eaten an entire pizza, like, yeah, maybe again, we need to dial and and really fine tune (laughs) our hunger cues. Um, But if you're hungry, eat. Right, right. Oh, and when it comes to hunger, 
uh, knowing the difference between being hungry and wanting to eat. Now, this is something that I think personally, because I've gone through contest prep, I am very familiar with the feeling of hunger. And I think a lot of competitors can relate to that or anyone who's taken a diet very seriously, like, you know what hunger feels like. But at the same time, there can also just be a desire to eat that a lot of times we categorize that as hunger. And I know people that are guilty of this and I try to remind them, you know, day to day or, you know, if if I have clients who are, are bringing this up to me, it's just like, I'm hungry all the time. Like, are you hungry? Like physically feeling your stomach growling, physically feeling like, you know, you are actually, you know, you, you need to eat, otherwise you're getting lightheaded, dizzy, whatever. Or are you just wanting to eat in whatever situation that you're in? Are you in a situation that usually you would indulge in something, but maybe you're not, so you just want to eat? And really trying to zone into yourself and those signals and whether or not that is mental or not. And of course, if you actually are hungry, then that's telling you something valuable. That means you could probably eat something. Maybe you need to work on spacing your meals better, but that means you actually have physical hunger. But a lot of times I find that people are, are quote unquote saying they're hungry, but actually they just want to eat and they don't really know how to parse the difference. And that can be a really valuable skill to develop. Yeah. And, and I do have clients uh, and I'm thinking of one in particular who she ended her night by watching a show or watching a movie And she always wanted to eat during that time. And so I think sometimes it's like you mentioned, if we're always eating around the same time, your body starts to adapt to that and it can like kind of signal that you're hungry, even though you may not be physically hungry. But also if you know that that's something that is kind of into your routine and built into your routine, then allow yourself some space to kind of have a snack at the end of the night. Um, But one of the things too that really, really helps with feeling more satiated throughout the day is we talked about having a protein at every sitting, a lean protein, is that's going to really help regulate your hunger throughout the day. So a lot of people will have a very high carb breakfast, a very high carb lunch, and by the time dinner rolls around, they're starving. And that's when they have their biggest protein meal And a lot of times, yeah, they feel super, super full. And it might be because you just had 50, 60 grams of protein in one sitting. So spacing that out throughout the day, you might find yourself not actually wanting to eat as much or having that constant feeling of hunger in your belly. Right. And that's like, honestly, one of the biggest, not complaints, because like no one complains about being able to eat a lot of food. But every time I start with a new client, they're like, man, like, it's really hard to get all this food in. And I'm like, yes, because we doubled your daily protein intake. Like we went from eating 50 grams a day to 100 grams a day or something like that. And that's pretty typical for most people who don't pay very close attention to their nutrition is protein just suffers and it's way too low for, for any goal that we're trying to serve. And so when I say to someone, here's your protein goal, like let's try to get this in, in multiple doses throughout the day, my clients are like, well, I can't eat anything else. Like I, I can't like fit in other, you know, foods that I might otherwise want because like the protein's making me so full. And this is like, you know, an indirect way that a lot of quote unquote fad diets work. You know, they are centered around lean protein sources. They are centered around satiating the person who's trying to diet and indirectly it just makes it harder to eat a lot of food. And so 
that can be really, really helpful when maybe you're not tracking your macros, but you want to feel satiated, uh, as well as, you know, making sure that you are, you know, fueled throughout the day and just, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Energized, fueled throughout the day and reaching your goals. And, um, protein is a really, really big part of that. Like you said. Yeah. Cause I think that a lot of people underestimate, or I'm sorry, they overestimate how much protein they consume and don't realize how much they actually do need and what they can eat to reach that protein goal. So Again, while we are talking about not tracking your macros, it is a good idea to figure out maybe, maybe track a couple times and just be like, wow, I really, I need this much at breakfast. I need this much at lunch. I actually need to have a protein shake, um, after my workouts and then dinner and then even something after dinner sometimes. Again, depending on how much you weigh and, and I would go back and listen to the macros episode so you can figure that out, even though we're talking about not tracking macros. <laughs> Right. So if, if you're not tracking though, like here's here's a general rule of thumb. You want roughly a gram per pound of, of body weight uh, for, for grams of protein per day. So if you weigh 150 pounds, you want roughly around 150 grams of protein. If that's really difficult, try for 0.8 times your body weight. So it might be closer to 120, 130, but essentially a little bit below up to your body weight in grams of protein. And then split that into however many meals you eat. And then look up, like you can just look up how much protein is in, you know, this much chicken, how much protein is in this much shrimp. And you can just get an idea for like, oh crap, I usually only have like two little strips of chicken on my chicken salad. I probably need three times that in order to hit that goal per meal. Um, and then you can visually assess. Um, and, you know, you you don't necessarily have to use a, a food scale for it. You don't necessarily have to use uh, an app for it. But it does help to kind of look up, get a concept for like, okay, how much protein is actually in these foods and just getting it regularly throughout the day. And what we were saying about the hand portion sizes as well is especially if you're trying to build muscle or lose body fat, just, you know, miss high when it comes to the lean protein sources. Like you can miss low for the carbs, the fats, but miss high for the protein. So instead of a palm, use a fist, right? And and get a good amount um, in at each sitting. And that way, you know, even if you only eat three meals per day, if you went with that rule of thumb, you might, you know, be closer to your goal than if you had just, you know, underestimated or, or looked at, you know, a small serving of protein and like, that seems like enough. Yeah. And we're going off on a, on a small tangent, but it's also a good idea to, to just kind of play around either in my fitness pal or even like the USDA and looking at their database and kind of figuring out and looking at the content of your food sources. So A lot of times I have clients who struggle to reach their protein goal and stay under their fat target because they think that peanut butter is a pure protein source um, and it has a little bit of fat or they didn't realize how much fat salmon actually had or the even a 93.7 or 90.10 ground beef, what the fat contents actually are and what that looks like. So um, just to play around with that a little bit, and it's not to scare you in any way, but it's just a good idea to understand what you're consuming, even if you um, aren't tracking. Right, right. And I think in some ways, like if you choose a fattier meat, if you really are tuning into those hunger and fullness cues, 
you're going to be fuller for longer. Um, so, you know, let's say you're doing this completely no numbers, just, you know, principles of, of nutrition, lean protein, vegetables, using your hands to make portions, shopping correctly. Those are all, and if you are paying attention to your hunger and fullness cues and regulating, you know, having multiple meals across this, the course of the day, your body will tell you when to, when you're having too much. Like eventually you will get to a point where you can listen to those cues, honor them, and you should reach a, a space of weight maintenance around a, a given set point because ultimately your body does know how to achieve weight maintenance. It's just, we spend so much time with fad diets and this diet and this, you know, event that we're trying to get in shape for and all of this ignoring our hunger signals. And especially bodybuilders, like we kind of have to do that. We have to manipulate our intake and ignore our hunger signals at certain times in the journey. And it can be really hard to get that back. So if you're in a place where like, that's just really hard for you, Understand that you do have to eventually give up that sense of control and trust your body and know that your body is going to reach a set point. It's going to just maintain there as long as you are listening to those cues. You're not going to be perfect, but just literally just by doing your best and really like trying to honor those signals when you feel them or don't feel them can be enough. You know, you don't necessarily have to track in order to stay where you are or not gain weight or whatever it is that you are afraid of happening. You can get there just by trusting your body, but doing that is harder than it actually sounds because we we don't trust our bodies. That's why we have all these gimmicky dieting methods in the industry today. <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything to add to that one. I think that was a really good note to end on um, as far as that particular point. But yeah, we've already touched on the moderation, not deprivation. But I do think that this is really important. And so when we talk about eating throughout the day, that we probably shouldn't have like a cereal and cinnamon rolls for uh, breakfast and, and bacon, and then for lunch have, you know, a huge burger and fries, and then for dinner have pizza, and then for dessert have ice cream. We probably shouldn't do that every single day. And is it, is it okay to indulge? Absolutely. But we still need to make sure that our meals are balanced, that we're getting in a good amount of uh, vitamins and minerals. So again, prioritizing our micronutrients and allowing yourself to have some of those more fun foods and not feel like, well, I'm not allowed to have this. I'm not allowed. I can't have sugar. I can't have bread. I can't have pasta. Um, because if you're eating chicken, broccoli, and rice for every single meal, you're going to go crazy after a few days. Um, yeah. And that's, again, it's it's not sustainable to just live off this boring food. I think that, again, we, while you should eat, um, quote unquote, healthier foods and make healthier choices, that we should still enjoy the foods and the meals that we're eating. But I know that there's this uh, idea that you should eat like a dog and just kind of just eat whatever and food is fuel. But I mean, I kind of think that that's BS because I do think, well, yes, there is a time and place like contest prep where there are times where you have to eat not so fun foods. Um, but for the majority of us who are just living in this kind of just healthier lifestyle that, yeah, we should be able to enjoy our meals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people who 
have tracked or, you know, are trying to transition away and become more mindful with their food without necessarily relying on numbers as a crutch or, you know, something like that, kind of understand this principle a little bit more because we talk about, oh, well, just fit dessert into your macros every day or, you know, use, you know, the macros to understand that if you have, you know, X amount of indulgences, then you have to balance that out with X amount of you know, leafy greens and vegetables in order to hit your target. So like the balancing act is better explained by numbers. And a lot of people can get that concept better with, with macros. So the people who are transitioning away, listening to this, trying to get some more freedom away from feeling like they need an app or need a food scale might understand this concept a little bit better, but essentially understanding that everything is a trade-off and there have to be checks and balances with nutrition. So when you indulge, Understand that if you eat a heavy carb source at every meal and you indulge in a Cinnabon that evening, that you're most likely going to be overly full and you're most likely going to be over your daily maintenance needs for the day. Because ultimately, when we are trying to eat mindfully, intuitively, we're not trying to really get anywhere. We're trying to just live the lifestyle, not trying to gain weight, not trying to lose weight. So weight maintenance is typically the outcome that we want when we want to live life without numbers. Uh, And then we employ the numbers when we want to reach a specific goal. Uh, So then if you understand the concept of, okay, well, there have to be checks and balances, then okay, maybe if I want the sweet potato fries, then I, I get the burger lettuce wrapped or vice versa. If I really want the full burger with the bun, I'll get a side of steamed vegetables instead of the fries. Um, And just understand the principles of like, if I'm eating really carb heavy throughout the day, then maybe I need to make a salad for dinner to balance that out, something lighter instead of just going with what my my normal might be. Um, And just understanding that Everything kind of operates like a like a seesaw or like a balanced scale, um, and you really want to just end the day equally balanced on both sides in terms of indulgences and you know making sure that you do get a good number of healthy, nutritious foods in as well, um, and understanding that social events, weekends, and things that are less structured compared to your day to day, you know, Monday through Friday meal schedule uh, is going to kind of throw off your signaling. It's going to throw off the timing of your meals. It's going to throw off how much you eat in one sitting. So really, really listening. Am I full? Am I hungry? What is my body telling me right now? And pausing to just think about it can make a huge, huge difference and under and in understanding how to moderate yourself in that situation is just really look internally. Yeah. And another good rule of thumb is, uh, you know, like an 80, 20 rule. So 80% of the time your meals should be healthy, whole nutritious food sources. And the other 20% can be a little bit, maybe a little bit more processed or a little bit quote unquote more fun food. So, um, and I think this is something that we didn't write on here, but it kind of goes along with the moderation, not deprivation, but it's also not labeling foods as good or bad. So trying to remove yourself from that. And so I think sometimes I try to, instead of saying something is good or something is bad, I'll say something is, again, more nutritious, um, more uh, full of, uh, like, with meats full of vitamins and and minerals, or I'll say just kind of like more fun foods or foods that you enjoy, because I don't want anyone to think that they are good for eating something or they are bad for eating something or they have guilt associated with foods. 
Right. And that makes me think of uh, something one of my clients asked me the other day was she was like, is it bad if I eat, you know, this, uh, what was it? It was a cup of microwavable mashed potatoes. And she was like, hey, here's a picture of this food. Is this bad? And I was just like, let's let's analyze context here you know what does the majority of your diet look like what is the purpose of you know the the microwave mashed potatoes like and she was like oh well I just like really didn't want to cook you know mashed potatoes from scratch today so like I picked that up for for our dinners tonight and I was like okay so like this is not something that you eat at every meal like four times a day and and so the question is this bad is so binary I was like bad in what context and and I get questions like this all the time. And it's like, I, I understand it's like the client is looking for approval that they can eat these things that are maybe a little bit more convenient, not 100% quote unquote clean, whatever that means to them. But um, what I really try to encourage with those types of questions is I just ask your question back. I'm like, so what is the context of the rest of your diet? What do you define as bad? Why are you, you know, why are you asking me this question? And then all of a sudden, like the client's like, oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good. Um, so the next one we have is hydrate. So making sure you prioritize your water intake. And again, it's something that you maybe won't drink enough until you actually realize how much you need. But it all it is also important to kind of still listen to your hunger cues and your fullness cues. It's the same thing with uh, with our water intake, that sometimes our body is telling us that we are thirsty and we need more water, but we don't understand and we, we don't know that our body is trying to tell us this. So if you have a lot of headaches, if you have... Um, same thing with hunger. If you're hungry all the time, then it might be because you're not drinking enough water. Um, mm -hmm. So really making sure that you have, you're drinking from a gallon every day, or you you know that you need to have, um, you know, two or three cups of, uh, of your, oh gosh, my animals are driving me crazy right now. So I apologize if you hear them in the background, guys. Um, but like a big, uh, what are these called? Like, like Contigo. Yeah, yeah, you use Contigos or something like that if you know that you're supposed to drink two or three of those a day to reach your water goal. So just making sure, same thing like with protein, spacing out throughout the day, same thing with water. Right. I always try to encourage like starting with maybe a half a gallon per day because most people drink honestly little to no water and a hell of a lot of coffee and mm -hmm. coffee dehydrates you so you can't count that towards your water goal. But 64 ounces per day and then try to work your way up from there. Uh, especially if you're active and you're sweating a lot, you're going to need more than 64 ounces. But if you, you know, just are trying to make some, some small changes, start with a half a gallon, nail that down every day. And then as you increase your activity level, drink more. And like Christina said, regulate your appetite um, is really good for every body function, you know, if you do have headaches, water intake will usually get rid of that unless it's like a medical chronic migraine condition. Uh, but it will definitely, definitely help. So not much really to add there, but stay hydrated people. <laughs> yeah. And again, I do have clients that struggle with their water intake. And so I do recommend adding BCAAs, or as we both drink water, um, maybe Mio's, Crystal uh, crystal Lights, like any of the little flavored packages. But 
<laughs> Ironically, our last podcast that we recorded was all about gut health and reducing your sugar alcohols and, and things like that. So again, it's probably shouldn't use a lot of those flavorings because then you start to depend on those and you don't really like water, but it is good to help you increase your water intake. But again, moderation. <laughs> right, right. So if you're interested in, in what we have to say about that, uh, spoiler alert, there's really nothing wrong or dangerous with using sugar alcohols or artificial sweeteners, which is why we do recommend using them for, you know, maybe kickstarting your water intake. But very good point about not becoming dependent on it, because that's something I personally am trying to wean myself off of being. And it's very difficult because now I don't like plain water and I'm trying very, very hard to. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it just depends on the context. Like if I, and I'm sure everyone's the same way, if they've come in from a really hot run or something like that, sometimes flavored water doesn't appeal to me Oh yeah, at all. And I just want like some nice ice cold water. <laughs> yeah, it definitely depends. There are the situations where I like regular water too, but it's just not, not, not when I'm sitting at my desk and just like yeah. sipping. Um, yeah. Okay. So next up is going to be paying close mind to stress management and getting good sleep. Uh, and so this is going to indirectly and directly affect our body's ability to achieve weight maintenance and just overall feel healthy and energized and good and not like you're holding a lot of stress or inflammation. And and so I actually did a, a live on this with my clients on two days ago, Friday, and talked all about stress management and sleep. And when I unpacked it, there was a lot more to it than I had expected. So I'm not going to go on with this for like 30 minutes, <laughs> but essentially have a sleep schedule, use good sleep hygiene habits, like keeping the room cool, having white noise, having a good bedtime routine, stay away from blue light, uh, emitting sources like computers and TVs and screens uh, close to bedtime. And just try to, you know, harness those habits in a regular way so that you are getting good sleep and enough sleep, but also recognizing the distinction that enough sleep in terms of time is not always enough sleep in terms of quality. So you can really improve sleep quality by managing some of those conditions, even if you already do, say, sleep through the night and for eight hours, but you always wake up feeling absolutely exhausted, then there's there's something wrong there. Right. Um, and sometimes stress management can play into the quality of your sleep. And those two things work really hand in hand. So with stress management, um, I really like to emphasize the fact that we react to stress. We always react to stress with emotions and an immediate response because like we can't control necessarily our reactions, but what we can control is our response. And so really harnessing the power of you don't have to respond with that same reaction, emotion, or intensity that you felt when whatever stressor happened, you can pause, analyze, and respond in a way that's more productive and gives you more control over the situation. Um, and that can really help with just how you handle stress, um, journaling, brain dumping, and, and kind of, you know, getting your thoughts on paper is the final thing that I recommend for stress management or having some kind of a sounding board if it's a person, a therapist, a journal can be really, really helpful. Um, again, it plays into sleep and it plays into your appetite. It plays into so much of your life that it really does have to be paid attention to, to live an overall healthy lifestyle. 
Yeah, I have so much to add to that. <laughs> um, because when it comes to sleep, the other thing that's important is, like Marissa was saying, it's not just the quantity, um, but also something like, okay, let, let's say, well, let's talk about we're getting eight hours of sleep. Um, I think it is very different to get eight hours of sleep if you go to bed between 9 and 10 p.m. versus going to bed at 1 or 2 in the morning. And even though you may still get eight hours of sleep, it's going to feel different waking up the next morning. So thinking about the time you go to bed and the time you wake up, and sometimes you can't control that when it, you know, if you're talking about work. Um, obviously, we've talked about Marissa's boyfriend being on nights, and so that's going to look very, very different. Um but having, again, that that quality of sleep versus quantity. And when it comes to stress management, Marissa hit on something really important is that stress perception. So how you perceive whatever stressor it is that you're dealing with and how you choose to respond. Because again, we can't control other people. And a lot of times we can't control a lot of outcomes. The only thing that we can control is our response to that stressor. And so how you, again, like how you perceive it. So is this a huge burden, oh no, woe is me, or is this a challenge? Is this something that I get to overcome and grow as an individual? So little things like that. And I feel like we couldn't do an entire podcast on that, but just as like a <laughs> quick little like pocket rule book, <laughs> um, try to control what you can control. And the other things that you can't control, you just kind of have to throw up your hands and just say, well, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Uh, let's do a full episode on stress management and sleep for sure. Because... <laughs> I'm just like thinking, I'm like, there's no way I can even bring that topic up because we'll we'll have to go like an hour on it. Yeah. But uh, the oh, last thing. Oh, oh God, sorry. sorry. Real quickly, when we talk about um, going back to sleep, I feel like we're jumping all over. But um, like Marissa was saying, is that having good quality sleep, it helps regulate your hunger hormones and your mood. So if you even like, let's say you're consistently at eight hours, even if you get seven hours one night that can throw off how hungry you feel throughout the day, um, your mood, your energy levels. So it is really important. And even just a couple hours less of sleep a night can make a really big difference. So I feel like everyone always stresses the fact that you should be good in good quality sleep. It is really important. Yeah. Um, I will make a little caveat on what you said about the time that you go to bed because there are these things called chronotypes of different, I guess, sleep personalities of people who are, you know, if you, if you've always categorized yourself as say an early morning riser or a night owl, there's actual evidence to support that people have like different categories of, of what, what are called chronotypes where some people are actually at their best when they stay up a little later, wake up a little later. And some people are at their best when they go to bed super early and wake up super early. So when it comes to getting on a good sleep schedule, not just the time of day, like of course, daylight and nighttime and, you know, the exposure to that matters and can help set your chronotype and your circadian rhythm, but um, matching your chronotype. So for example, my boyfriend does go to bed at like seven in the morning uh, and wakes up at like four in the afternoon, but his chronotype is the closest thing to night shift possible. So he, if he was not on his current work schedule, he would still go to bed at like two or three in the morning and, and he would wake up maybe at 11 or 12 or maybe 10 something instead of in the afternoon. But that's like where he feels his 
honest best. And it's very weird to me because I've always been a very normal chronotype and I'm not a super early morning person, but I'm definitely not a night owl. Um, and so I go to bed anytime between like 10 and 11, wake up like six, seven, eight ish, depending on the day. And, uh, that's like very, very quote unquote normal, but trying to match your chronotype with, with your sleep schedule and, and try to pay attention to what you jive with the best when you really feel like yourself. Obviously, you can't control that if you have like a, a normal, typical work schedule. But if you do have the freedom to be flexible with that, try to experiment with your chronotype and see what feels best for you. And there, there it goes. I said it. What feels best for you? Hey, because it's, it's <laughs> a thing. Yeah. And then the hunger hormones. Yeah. One bad night of sleep and your hunger could be through the roof dysregulated, um, just making sure. So I'll briefly, ghrelin is the hormone that makes you hungry. You can remember that with the GR, like grr, my tummy's growling. And leptin is the hormone that keeps you full, makes you feel full. And one bad night of sleep has been shown to increase ghrelin and decrease leptin. So just with, you know, one poor piss poor night of like four hours or something and and you could have more cravings the next day and that can result in behavioral changes of giving into those cravings and then maybe you know you continue to perpetuate that cycle so it's very important to just try to prioritize getting back on a sleep schedule every single day no matter how the night before was yeah that's super interesting about the different sleep types i'd never heard that before but um i guess my chronotype is that what you're saying Mm mm-hmm uh, is grandma because <laughs> if I even and I, I've talked about this before like if I'm in prep or I've gone out with my boyfriend and I'm like or boyfriend oh my god boyfriend husband yeah I guess I've got a boyfriend on the side rewinded um, four years I guess I was I don't know what I was thinking of. um husband husband happily married um <laughs> if I go out and I dd or something like that and I just stay up late. I've had absolutely no alcohol, but we go to bed at like one in the morning. I feel hungover the next day. And I'm like, this is not fair. (laughs) Like I did not drink. This is not fair. I shouldn't feel like this. Um, so I just, I think that's super interesting, but I guess I just have that grandma chronotype. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's not just you. And people like to say that that's an age thing, but then I'm like, Hey, I'm over here. I'm 24 and I feel that way too. So I don't know what you're trying to say. Like, (laughs) I think it just means I'm an adult now. (laughs) That just, I mean, I didn't feel like that. I never felt like that in college. I could do whatever I wanted, drink however much I wanted. My sleep schedule would be all over the place. And I felt so productive the next day. I don't feel like that now as yeah. a almost a 31 year old. Yeah, I've I've always felt that way, especially like DDing and staying up to like, I'll be like falling asleep at whatever bar we'd be at. And like, I'd be like, just let me know when we're ready to go home. And, <laughs> I'm going to go sit in the car. It's like I wake up and I'm more hungover than, than the people that drink. And I'm like, Great. um, this is not right. <laughs> Why did I DD? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, the next one we have, and I think it's our last point, is just to prioritize movement. And I was just about to say, for whatever movement that you enjoy, find out what works best for you. <laughs> but I think when it comes to exercise, try not to put 
weightlifting into or like exercise into a box. And so exercise or movement can look different for everyone. And again, I think it's really important finding something that you enjoy. So if you enjoy Pilates or if you enjoy yoga or going on, you know, 30 minute walks or something, or if you do enjoy weight training, then do that a couple times, three, four, five times a week, you know, 30 to 45 minutes every single day. And that's going to make a huge difference. And so the other thing too, it's it's not just movement as far as like making sure you're exercising, but it can just be making sure you're moving throughout the day. So making sure you're getting up and you're getting in some steps and, you know, maybe you start your day with a 30 minute walk, just leisurely walk. Maybe you're walking your dog. Or if I, I have some clients who just don't enjoy morning walks the way that I do, and I'm, I'm very biased with those because I like them. Um, Maybe they enjoy an afternoon walk. Maybe it's after lunch or maybe after dinner. I know some of my clients really enjoy doing that with their kids after um, after dinner, and it's just another way to connect with them. But it's just good a good practice to making sure you're getting up and getting in some steps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just movement between meals across the day really, really good for appetite regulation as well. So like there's a theme here, like we're, we're basically just introducing a lot of different strategies to help with appetite regulation and just making sure that you are listening to your body in terms of food intake. But there actually has been research to show that being sedentary can actually make you more hungry than if you're moderately or lightly active. Um, and so exercise does regulate our hunger hormones and, and cues to be more accurate than actually if we were just sitting all day. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a nighttime walk person. So, um, Aaron and I actually do evening walks pretty much, uh, you know, in the evening after dinner around the neighborhood. Uh, and I cannot get myself to do a morning walk to save my life. So I'm (laughs) definitely like those people you described. Well, for Aaron, it's a morning walk. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a midday, like early afternoon, late morning walk, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and just exercise. Obviously, resistance training has very, very pertinent benefits to body composition, yes. long-term health, muscular health, bone health. But if you hate it, just stay active. Like, just move in ways that feel good. And, uh, you know, that's going to help not only with maintaining and regulating body weight, but also the the appetite signaling that goes along with that. Right. And I think sometimes what happens, and, and I am have definitely been this person before, where I think that, oh, well, if I weight trained for 45 minutes to an hour and a half, I don't need to do anything the rest of the day. And I can just sit on my couch. I don't need to get up. I don't need to move. I don't need to walk. And so it's the same thing with our food where we underestimate how much we eat. I think it's the same thing. We underestimate how much we move and Over. how many... Yes. Sorry. Overestimate. <laughs> Overestimate um, our activity. We underestimate um, our food intake. And yes. so again, just uh, while I, I do recommend at some point tracking your steps, because I think, again, it's the same thing with tracking our food is we get an idea of, okay, this is how much I need to eat. It's the same thing. Okay. This is how much I need to move. So if I know that I'm going to be sitting at my desk all day, I'm probably going to get a a thousand steps maybe. So I know that I need to get in uh, some sort of activity either in the morning and the afternoon, or I just need to make sure every, you know, on the hour, I'm just getting up and going on a five, 10 minute walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you are just like the type of person where that 
that watch or tracking your steps is just going to make you go absolutely crazy. Just incorporate some walks into your day. Like it can be that simple. Like get up, do a couple laps around the house every hour on the hour, or, you know, do a morning walk, do an after lunch walk, do an evening walk, whatever. Like if you are adding activity to your day, it's still going to be a net positive compared to not adding anything. So don't ever put yourself in a situation. And this goes for and I think this is a good concluding thought for the whole mm-hmm. episode is don't ever put yourself in a situation or a position where you feel like you have to track something with a number in order to actually do it. Um, mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to get at here is you can use all of these principles and all of these habits with no numbers involved. And it's still going to be a net positive change compared to what you were doing before. Right. And so while there are more accurate methods and ways to get a better idea of how to do this and that. Um, just utilizing the principles alone um, with you know your best general idea of what that means to you is still going to be a very, very big improvement and improve your quality of life and health, uh, regardless of how much or how little tracking that you do. Yes. And I feel like while that would be a really good note to end on, just something I wanted to just insert real quickly is I think that sometimes while we do get kind of hung up on numbers, like for example, one of the things that is going around right now is, you know, 10K steps. I have to get 10K steps that for some reason we have this like magical number in our head. And it's the same thing with females where it's like 1200 calories. For some reason, we just kind of hear these things. So I think that sometimes what happens with people is, well, if 10K steps is ideal or 10K steps is good, well, then 11 must be better. Well, what's better than 11 is 12. And so I think that sometimes we have a tendency to need to do more and more and more and more. And while, yes, it, it might be good or better in some instances, um, if you were now constantly getting 20K steps a day, um, well, that is kind of your new normal and your body is going to adapt to that. So then what happens if that 20K is not maintainable and that's not something you can't do in your everyday life and now you have to drop down to 10 or 5, um, well, again, you're going to have a big uh, difference in, in calories. And while I don't want to go off on a huge, huge tangent, um, when we talk about moderation you know, with food, I think it's also good to think about when it comes to movement or when it comes to exercise um, that we don't want to do anything too extreme um, on either end. So try, trying to find that nice balance and something that you feel like you can sustain for a long period of time. Because if you don't see yourself doing your normal routine and, you know, five months, five weeks, five months, five years, um, then you might need to adapt and make some changes. So it feels like, okay, this is actually realistic. I might need to do a little bit of extra planning. I might need to schedule uh, better. I might need to prioritize my time better. But if I'm not being lazy and if I'm being realistic with myself, I can reach these goals. Yes. Yes. Not a tangent at all. Good, good closing point for sure. So Perfect. just to, I guess, kind of recap the points and close this up. Eat slower and without distraction. Shop the perimeter of the store. Have a source of lean protein and vegetables at every sitting and make sure to eat actual meals that are, you know, full plates worth of of food using hand portion sizes and nutritious food sources. Pay attention to hunger and fullness cues. That one is a huge one. Implement moderation, not deprivation when it comes to indulgences and things that you love to eat. Kind of the 80-20 rule. 
stay hydrated, pay close mind to stress management and your sleep habits, and prioritize movement. Yeah, guys. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode and had a lot of takeaways. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Christy Lynn Fit and Marissa is at Marissa Roy Fitness. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and we hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.